Welcome to the Free to Choose Media Podcast. In today's episode, Herbert Stein and Ben Wattenberg, senior fellows at the American Enterprise Institute, consider the many factors which threaten America's political stability and economic growth. Stein and Wattenberg agree that while attention has been focused primarily on economic issues, of more pressing concern are the social problems of drug abuse, single-parent families, racism, and the like. Given these challenges, is there any reason to be optimistic that the U.S. will continue to prosper? Listen now, and don't forget to subscribe to get updates each week on the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Herb, your, your book, which, as you know, I, I really enjoyed a great deal, called uh, An Illustrated Guide to the American Economy, leads me to ask you to begin this discussion, this question. How much do economists know about the economy? Well... We now know that we know much less than we thought we knew <laughs> 30 years ago. Um, that's because we've all become so smart. Yes. Mm-hmm. See, I was so much taken, as you know, when I was reading it, and I spent the whole weekend going through sure. it. At how many points in the book you said economists disagree about or economists do not know whether, and I, that gave it an enormous amount of credibility, I must say, because I've always divined that they don't know as much as they say. But you say 30 years ago they knew more. They thought they knew more. They thought they knew more. Um, well, there are two things about that. 30 years ago, the, the problems were simpler. The problems were in our ballpark. Now the problems are in your ballpark. Uh, that's one thing that's happened. So that Tell me the name of my ballpark so I, I can ball, feel sort ballpark of proprietorship is, uh, here. It's how you change people and make them better. I see. The social engineers. We park, thought, right? uh, from the time I came into this business in 1938 approximately, for about 30 years, we thought that we had a population of people who were highly motivated, competent, goal-oriented, and they knew... They wanted to do the right things, they knew how to do the right things, but there was some gadget missing in the economic system that kept them from achieving what they wanted to do. And so we knew we put in a bigger deficit or we put in more money supply and then everything would work. Now the problem seems to be, and the reason I say it's in your ballpark, we're dealing with a lot of people who don't seem to have those motivations and goals and incentives. And... um, we, uh, so economists are less relevant. So that's one thing that's happened to economics. The other thing that's happened is that uh, for about 30 years now, we economists have try, been trying to subject everything to econometric tests, to tests of uh, empirical validity. And very few things stand up. It, 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 it does seem to be possible that if you push hard enough, you can disprove everything. Is, is it also true that economists, like all social scientists, are lying more. I mean, my, my sense is, since I came into this business in the mid-60s, sort of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and the idea that anyone with a PhD after his name sort of had a lock on wisdom, and then, because I worked on President Johnson's White House at that time, heard things that even I knew were untrue, uh, with a list of, you know, signers to ads, with a list of PhDs, and, and have seen in the soft sciences and to some extent in some of the hard sciences when you get into some of these environmental arguments, people, I think, blatantly, for political reasons, saying things that aren't true. And that that I assume they must know aren't true because even I know they're not true. Well, 
I see I, I, that may be true in some other fields where they know what's true because you can't tell if a person is lying if you don't know what's true. Mm-hmm. And my problem about economics is that we don't know so many, so many things that we don't know whether they're true or not. But I think that I, I think that economics has become much more politicized than it was, so that economists tend to line up there on one thing or one side or another, and uh, they're not really lying, but it's so easy to believe sincerely that uh, what, is, what, what your team is saying is correct, and to, it's so easy to find arguments in support of what your team is saying, so that uh, I think you, you, get, you get a situation where even very uh, highly qualified scientists, Nobel Prize economists, Nobel Prize winners, are quite predictable. You know which are Democrats, which are Republicans, and you know what they're going to say, and what they're going to say is pretty is very heavily influenced by uh, where they stand. Uh, aside from you, who who calls them down the middle? I don't know anyone else. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, your your, your co-author Murray Foss. Murray Murray Foss and I. And well, there there are there are undoubtedly people out no. there, and uh, one of my good friends who died recently, Ed Dennison, he was in that category. Right. I think what, what does happen is that the people who call them down the middle are quite unknown. Nobody wants to quote them. They're not soundbite material. They're not soundbite material. They don't have this political connection. What the reporters want to quote is somebody who can they can say is uh, an affiliate of the Republican Party or associated with the Democratic Party. And here's somebody who's just an economist who has devoted all his life to trying to learn something uh, but has no other credentials except that he's learned something, uh, nobody wants to quote him. Nobody thinks to quote him. See, I, I, I think you were talking about my ballpark, that an area of human knowledge that I think is very relevant to our circumstance and that we do know something about that people don't seem to be terribly interested in is demographics or certain aspects of demographics. I mean, that is something. There are certain parts of demographics that you can measure with great precision fertility rates, birth rates, that kind of uh, immigration rates, sort of. And it's, it, I, I am always, because I've sort of gotten into popular demography and been mm-hmm. writing about it for about 30 years now, and I'm astonished at how little attention things that are, I mean, you know, the most important thing, I mean, I, I, you look at it from the political perspective, uh, what was it, 1990 when they did the big budget deal in the fall, I guess yeah. that was it, right? Got this, got one million tons of ink and television coverage and at the same time that late that Saturday night getting about you know one pica of type on page 38 they passed a new immigration bill we've only had four immigration bills in the history of this republic a mm-hmm. hundred years from now there is no or 50 years from now there is no question in my mind that a historian will write about that immigration bill because of the way it changed uh-huh. who we're taking in how we're not how big a country will be how influential a country how powerful a country will Whereas this Mickey Mouse deficit thing, I mean, they either did it right or they did it wrong. If they did it wrong, they'll try to fix it and do it wrong a hundred times between now and then. And yet nobody pays a whole lot of attention to it. Well, I'm sure that's right. And uh, I don't know whether we really know the significance of the bill or, or the significance of immigration or, that, or what it will do to us. I, th- I think when I said that... Uh, uh, there's so many things that economists don't know. Of course, we do know a lot of f- right. facts that are that are in our book, but what we don't know are relationships and cause and effect uh, connections. And we don't know if you do this, how much how much of this will give you how much of that, 
And uh, those are the questions that you always I mean, are interested we, we, in. We, it's sort of a given now in this year when there's this, this enormous conversation, this screech about deficits. As I understand it, I mean, economists, serious economists are not agreed that deficits are bad for us. Is that correct? Is that an uh, overstatement? No, or that's, that, that, that's correct. Uh, that is correct. And uh, I find myself in a very uh, peculiar position of saying it's very important to get the deficit down and <laughs> saying that the reason for that is not economic. The reason why, why it's very important to get the deficit down is that every politician, every president, every presidential candidate has says, I'm going to get the deficit down. And I think if you have all promised something, you ought to do it. There, I think there, there's an old principle about honesty, you know. Well, we, we've set up this artificial hurdle of discipline and said we must do this to show we're a disciplined country. And in that sense, I think you're right, because if we then can't do it, we are admit. But suppose Herb Stein got up and said, you know, take that hurdle down. It was a dumb hurdle. And well, everybody agreed it was a dumb hurdle. Look at all the money we could uh, not tax or whatever it is we wouldn't do. <laughs> well, it wouldn't increase no. the amount of money we have. No, no, it, would I, just, it would just change it, its use. But, yeah, right. but, but I think if somebody were to come along and say, oh, the goal of zero deficit is uh, not meaningful, it's not a good goal, the goal ought to be 4% of GDP, and we could have a national debate about that, and there were things you could say about it for and against, right. That would be perfectly reasonable, and I think we could agree at some stand on some standard. Well, now Kemp, Kemp is one. Jack Kemp is one of the guys who says deficit doesn't matter that much, and yet I know you disagree with his kind of economics. Yeah, well, I disagree with a different. I disagree with some aspect. Of, Kemp, Kemp thinks you see, we economists thought they had a gadget of the size of the deficit. They thought they had a gadget, the money supply. Kemp thinks he has a gadget, the capital gains tax. Just cut the capital gains tax and all good things will be added unto you. Well, that I don't agree with. I, I think that's really uh, unproven. But I, but I see, but there is a difficult problem here about, about the deficit. I used, for a while, I wrote, said, well, we ought to think about the decision on the size of the deficit just like any other uh, fiscal decision or any other economic decision. It's a matter of pros and cons and it's a question of quantities and we should decide on what we think is the optimum quantity considering the costs of reducing the deficit and the benefits of doing it and so on. But that doesn't seem to work because um, nobody will agree with the econometrics of such a thing. And uh, that is just a license to go on and make it as big as you like. So I do think that uh, I've come at least temporarily to this conclusion, <laughs> that, uh, that you, you need to have some, some goal, and the goal that probably intuitively appeals to most people that they would recognize as a goal that they ought to live by is zero deficit. Um, but anyway, I, I, I think uh, but as far as the consequences, the economic consequences of the, of the deficit are, they become uh, more and more uh, uh, misty uh, because you say, well, we, we, have to, uh, we have to reduce the deficit so that uh, the government will not borrow so much and so it will not absorb so much of the national savings so there will be more investment and then our children and grandchildren will have higher incomes. Well, but if I care about that, uh, I don't have, I can just go out and save, invest, earn that income, and my children and grandchildren and, will and have higher income. And some of the things we have spent, as I follow this argument, people say, oh, we're laying it all off on our children and we're mortgaging their future. 
in a lot of expenditures, that's baloney. I mean, when we when we when we spend on education, it's their education we're spending. When we build a superhighway, they're going to build a bridge, beat the Russians, whatever it is. I mean, we 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 have left. Uh, the next generation, a hell of a lot better off than the previous generation left us, even though we don't have their deficit. I mean, we've left them without a Cold War, among other things, yeah, well, which is one reason we ran up the damn deficit. Well, I think that's right. But then we look ahead and uh, uh, Mr. Clinton says, well, it's going to take 100 years before we double the GN per capita GNP yeah. again or we double the per capita national income again. And he wants to, he thinks in the first place, he thinks that's terrible, although there must have been very few centuries in Absolutely human not. history in which it doubled in a hundred years. And, uh, you know, if you look at it in the long run, as we economists do, if you double in a hundred years, in 20 centuries, you increase by a million. So we'll That's all, a lot of money. We'll all be, we'll all be trillionaires. <laughs> we'll all be very rich in 20 centuries. Lend me a billion dollars. I have to make a phone call. There's a joke that goes that way. But it's a, uh, see, I, 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 I think what you said originally is, is correct, that the action in some way has, a, the public rhetoric hasn't, but the action in terms of what is troubling this society has moved from economics to another arena. I'm, I'm working on a book now called Values Matter Most, uh, making the case that the people who in 1992 who said it's the economy stupid that they were the stupid people because its value is stupid. I mean, that what, what is true, because as, as you have pointed out, look, if we grow even at oh, this terrible rate of 2% a year or 1.5% a year, you look at it for a generation or two or three, we're doing fine. This is the most prosperous society in the history of the world. We're still growing. I don't think anybody serious believes we're going to stagnate or stop growing, so we'll grow a little slower. Uh, I, 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 on the other hand, we have these these monumental social problems, and you know I'm a sort of a professional optimist. But you take the uh, the, the uh, single parent family and the crime rate and the welfare rate and drug usage and homelessness and all these sorts of things, which don't, in my judgment, do not grow out of economic circumstances. They we, we and I still think it's a healthy, vibrant country. I think we're sweeping over. I think all of the all of the things I used to think, but I also think we're in a hell of a bind on a lot of these problems. And, and the thesis I am working on, trying to just put it in some popular language, is for the most part. There are a lot of different dimensions to it, there, but for the most part, where we have seen this deterioration, has been caused by governmental action. There are some specific governmental actions, either in welfare or in crime or in homelessness. You can go, you can go right down the list uh, female-headed households. And that what government uh, caused, government ought to cure. What government screwed up, government ought to be able to unscrew up. Uh, and that that ought to be, we, we ought to get rid of this silly electoral idea that it is only economics that determine who, the, you know, oh, if the economy is good, Clinton's going to win. If the economy is not going to be good, I don't believe that either. There's a lot of evidence that that's not the, uh, true. And that both of these parties, and we sort of went through this, this um, strange thing in 1992 where, where if you brought up values, you were somehow being a demagogue and a, and a Pat Buchanan and a crazy, whereas I think... Admittedly, they were overstated by Pat Buchanan and some other people, but those are the central issues of this society. Well, I think those are the central issues. I think whether those, well, I think two things about that. Whether the degradation of values is a result of public policies or something else and can be cured by removing those policies, 
I think that still remains to be examined and demonstrated. But I'd say, since you're leaving the position as the incurable optimist, let me <laughs> occupy it for a moment right. and uh, say, uh, if, you think, if you think about it, the, uh, there has not been a continuous decline in values uh, over, over a long period of time in America. If you look back at the way we lived um, 100 years ago, 60 years ago, the, the bigotry in the treatment of the blacks, the prejudice in the treatment of women, even at an earlier period, the, uh, the treatment of labor. I mean, I recently Slaves. saw some Slaves. Slaves. Slavery, slavery, but even in, um, after, right. after slavery, saw some f pictures of you know the National Guard mowing down striking workers in Colorado and all that kind of thing. So in many respects, we have become a much more civilized and humane Society no, I, than I, I we agree, were. I agree with that. I, I mean, and I, I'm, I'm having a lot of difficulty in writing this book for just that reason because the, the easy thing to do, as your old boss, Mr. Nixon, used to say, the easy thing to do would write a real hard-hitting book. Values, my God, they're deteriorating. They're terrible. But I've been writing a lot of optimistic <laughs> books and dealing with, and even the crime rate. I mean, what happened as near as I can figure out the crime data, it went up substantially to a really horrible level, and the last decade or so, it's kind of bounced along at this high. It's not just soaring. Uh, you can go through a number of other indices of alleged social deterioration and you get kind of, the divorce rate went way up and it's kind of plateaued. Uh, and so on and so forth. So is to try to get this balance. On, on the other hand, Herb, you know, you look, I mean, if, if we sat here 25 years ago and said that 21% of births in America are going to be to unmarried women, you would have said, well, that's crazy. I mean, it was two or three percent. And, and you have kid, you have 40, 50, 60 percent of kids growing up uh, at one point or another uh, with, with only one parent in the family. I mean, you talk about values and family values and what makes a strong child, what makes a strong society. I mean, you don't have to be a, a genius oh, to know oh, a mommy and a daddy and a child go together yeah, and that's well, the I, best I, way to I, work it. I, I, I agree that the, yeah. those are, that, that's a very serious problem. I just uh, say that I, I don't know what to do about it. And uh, I don't certainly don't think we could give up about it. And I don't, I don't think that the solution is entirely a negative one of stopping some government programs. Uh, I think that uh, th I think there needs to be some communication with these people. And of course, the thing you have not mentioned, which uh, um, which kind of poisons this whole atmosphere, is the race problem, uh, because uh, deeply intertwined with it. Uh, because I think a lot of the people who are the most the worst victims are deep, most deeply mired in these social pathologies are blacks and they have a, they have a history, a, a characteristic which gives them some attitudes that are, make it very difficult to incorporate them into the mainstream of American social and economic life. I, I, I think that's right and I, I think you're right. It, it, it poisons the debate because every time you point out something, people say racist, racist. You get the R word and, and we have a welfare situation in this country now. I mean. In the old days, I rejected it, but sort of the <coughs> market theorist type people said, well, you know, if you, if, if you say to a woman, if you have a baby and you don't have a husband and you don't have a job and you don't save any money, then and only then will we give you some money 
a surprise. What do you think you're going to get? You're going to get more people saying, oh, I'm going to have a baby without a husband, without a job, without savings. And that is the way the bonuses that our welfare situ situation, the AFD, Aid to Families with Dependent Children, and food stamps and a lot of these other programs work. And that is crazy. Well, but you have, you have this other problem. That is, what, what are you going to do about the... Well, suppose you say, well, no, if you have, have a baby without a husband and so on, you get no help. Are you going to really going to do that? I mean, there are well, going well, to be but, some who but, have babies but, who, no, but, who have but, no husbands. But 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 suppose you did it, wouldn't you lower the rate? I mean, uh, of, of, right, about so a wedlock birth. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm sure you would. Right. But suppose you suppose you cut the rate of wedlock birth in half. What are you going to do the other half? Well, look, as we say, it's a real problem. <laughs> <It's> a problem. <laughs> but, but 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 we are setting up the wrong, and so we we are having. Generation unto generation, older sisters telling younger sisters, telling children, saying, "Hey, it's not you know, it's not yeah. a great deal, but yeah. it's not a bad deal." Yeah, and, and, and we have to change. I mean, you know, Clinton, I, I, Clinton has said it. He ran on it. I think that's why he won the election when he said we have to end welfare as a way of life. I'm, I'm not at all sure he's going to deliver on it because just because yeah. it gets into the race yeah. issue and into the well, liberal and, issue and, and everything and else. It does we'll get see. into this problem. What to do about those people who, who still have these out of yeah. wedlock? Babies, and it, but it also raises the question whether there are more positive things that you can do. Uh, that uh, because uh, I think that um, the uh, that a lot, a lot of these uh, babies are conceived and born not in order to get that welfare check, but in order to achieve a certain position in the in their neighborhood community are in their own lives and their own eyes that they are persons of some significance and uh, I think that we need to help them to find some significance in their lives other than that um, and that's going to be very hard but um, Anyway, but that's why I say it's a problem in your area. You're the best. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> no, well, what I was sort of interested in is I've, I've sort of been going through this, you know, these so-called values issues, uh, one after another, trying to look from the '60s on uh, at, at to if you look for causation. You know, people saying, "Well, the, the church isn't doing as much anymore in the neighborhood in some way." But you know, in, and I, I wouldn't deny that there's there are those aspects to it. But in every one of these things. There is the government doing something dumb, either state, federal, or local. You take the homelessness situation, you can trace it back to some uh, so, some law. I, so, I guess it was a Jacksonville, Florida case. They used to have a law in the books saying that uh, vagabonds, rogues, scoundrels, whatever, couldn't congregate. And you had to, you know, the cops you say, come on, move along, move along, vagrants, uh, bums, hobos. And the ACLU, I guess, ran, ran a case and said, no, you can't do that. It's okay. And, and that apparently was confirmed by, by higher courts. And in city after city, you cannot move along what we used to call a bum or a panhandler. Uh, and then you, you, you took another law uh, or set of laws which involved the deinstitutionalization of the mental hospitals because they thought they had some good drugs and because people said it wasn't fair. And again, I think the ACLU, by the way, I mean, I don't want to heaven forfend that I create a villain. But, but, but that they said, hey, let them out because this isn't fair and they're constitutional. Well, you put that together, A, you let them out, B, you don't, you don't take care of them, C, you say they can congregate and, and, and a cop can't move them along. And all of a sudden people say, there's this explosion of homelessness. And they say it's the economy's fault and it's baloney no, that's the, the economy's fault. fault. But there was a conflict of values there in the first place, which you haven't resolved. You're just going to say you're going to choose 
the other uh, leg of this dilemma, the other horn of this dilemma, the, the, that is, uh, there, there was this d dilemma, the choice between uh, depriving them of their rights and inducing them and incentivizing them to become uh, homeless and beggars and general nuisances. And you say, well, when we, we chose uh, what, insisting on their constitutional rights and so we got the homelessness and beggars and nuisances. Now you say, well, we're gonna, so what? We're gonna deprive them of their rights in order to uh, uh, make reduce the number of homeless beggars. Well, I, I, I don't think, I that, think that, 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 that people have a right to use a public sidewalk to sleep on and to urinate on and defecate on and pitch a tent on. I don't think that is, I don't, that's not in my constitution. Well, uh, uh, I mean, I think that was a, 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 mista a public policy mistake we made and we can unmake it. Well, the, the, but, the, but the question of wh whether you ca can uh, lock up a person who is... Uh, Sitting on a bench and begging, uh, without without bother, without touching anybody, he looks ugly. He smells bad. Can, can you? Uh, God, uh, I don't know what to do about a fellow who smokes a cigar in my office. <laughs> um, <laughs> I suppose he has a constitutional right to, to, to smoke a cigar. Well, we 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 have that happens to be one. Uh, one constriction of civil liberties that I approve of, mostly because I want to get my son to stop smoking. I, I am in favor of a $2 uh, per pack uh, cigarette. I, I don't know if that would do it for him. Maybe $10 a pack or $10 a cigarette, as far as I'm concerned. But, well, there you are, back to the economic solution. Whereas, that's right. why don't you uh, preach your moral values to your son? Yeah. Well, he's, he's a good son, except he smokes. So uh -huh. that's a, uh... All right, do you have anything, uh, any other particular pearl of wisdom? Well, I started with the denying all wisdom on my part. So. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so I, might, I shouldn't dredge up one now. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, you, you uh, just to close this out though, as as you look ahead, uh, do you have any doubt that uh, Americans, by any serious historical standards, will continue to prosper? No, I don't. I don't really. I think that, uh, you know, we will not grow as fast as we did for 20, 25 or 30 years, but I think we will grow. We will. We are rich. We will get richer, and I think that will, will and how much richer, how fast we get richer will mainly depend on how much the American people want to get richer faster. If they want to get richer faster, if they, they want to save more, study more, get their children to study more, uh, they will get richer faster. And uh, I think uh, in this field as in others, uh, since this field as in the one you talk about, the government could screw things up, but only marginally. Whereas uh, I think in the field we were discussing before, uh, the government may have screwed things up more than marginally. There is a case which we will say for another conversation that when a society reaches a certain level of economic affluence, damn it, why shouldn't we spend it? Instead of saying, we gotta grow, we gotta save, we gotta invest. If we are the richest society, I mean, all these other previous generations stacked up behind us said, let's get richer, let's get richer, well, so well, our I, children can have fun. Well, I think that's well, right. I what's mean, so terrible uh, about uh, that? I mean, Mr. Clinton, Consumption. Mr. Clinton uh, deplores the fact that it will take us a century to double our per capita income. Well, we doubled it in the last 35 years. That takes us back to the time of 
1958 or so, time of Ozzie and Harriet, uh, <laughs> That's uh, right. uh, General Eisenhower, we were all as happy as birds. Right. Uh, so uh, maybe doubling, doubling hasn't done us so much good. It may have caused some of these troubles. Maybe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Want more episodes like this? Don't forget to subscribe and get updates each week for the Free to Choose Media Podcast.